This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Wednesday, November the 30th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. The horns are there. I'm here. You're there. Let's get it started. Coming up on the show today, John Lepke will share his thoughts on this year's International Day of Persons with Disabilities. We'll be talking a whole lot about that day over the course of the next week, previewing and reviewing, and there's lots happening. So Andrika Delaneral will also drop by and share some events with Shane Baker. We'll discuss the importance of coming to Winnipeg, Manitoba holiday season in full effect. I was chatting with a couple friends this weekend saying, oh, what are you doing tonight? You going out? We're doing stuff? No, Dave. We're staying home and watching Hallmark holiday movies. Tis the season. Let's begin with our top story of the day, and we're beginning in the provinces. The Alberta government has introduced a promised sovereignty bill In the legislature, the legislation allows cabinet to direct public institutions like school boards, universities and police forces to not use provincial resources to enforce federal rules deemed harmful to Alberta's interests. In the bill, the United Conservative Party government promises to follow court rulings and the constitutions, but says it would be up to the federal government to sue the provinces to resolve disputes instead of the other way around. Premier Danielle Smith laid out the rationale behind the legislation. We are finally telling the federal government, no more. It's time to stand up for Alberta. Bill 1, the Alberta Sovereignty Within a United Canada Act, is a first step in standing up for Albertans and pushing Ottawa back into its own lane. When passed, this legislation will create a constitutional legal framework for Alberta to push back against federal interference and encroachment. Premier Smith says it's time to try something different. We've been ignored for 10 years. The, uh, the former uh, Premier, Rachel Notley, tried the climate leadership plan to get a better relationship with Ottawa. It failed. Uh, pr- uh, former Premier uh, Jason Kenney tried to have a collaborative relationship with Stephen Gibault in Quebec to get LNG export. It failed. We put forward an equalization referendum to try to start a conversation to change the relationship with Ottawa. It failed. So now we're going to try something new. I keep telling you, young aspiring law students... Maybe focus a little bit on constitutional law. Might not pay as much as mergers and acquisitions, but I sense you'll have lots of work over the course of the next decade or so. After the legislation was introduced, sorry, little career advice with Dave Brown. It'll be a new segment on the show. Former Premier Jason Kent, if I was more successful, maybe that segment could really take off, but... I suppose success is relative. After the legislation was introduced, former Premier Jason Kenney announced his resignation on Twitter. Karen Rebo shares some of the letter. Kenny writes that it has been a privilege to have represented the constituency of Calgary Lougheed since 2017. He adds he hopes to continue contributing to our democratic life by sharing some of what he's learned during his 25 years in elected office. He praised how matters are dealt with under Canada's constitutional monarchy, but he expressed concern that democracy is veering towards a polarization that undermines our bedrock institutions and principles. He also decried the far left's efforts to, quote, delegitimize our history and the far right's vengeful anger and toxic cynicism. 
Uh, yes, noted centrist Jason Kenney. Let's turn to the economy. Yesterday, we shared some modest GDP growth with you. That data came from Stats Canada. Well, there's more new data out that shows Canadians are leaning more on credit cards and other forms of debt. Adam Burns delves a bit deeper. TransUnion says 27.9 million Canadians held a combined outstanding balance of $2.29 trillion on active credit products during the third quarter. That's up 7.9% from the same period last year. The credit rating agency says the number of consumers with an active credit account reached an all-time high in the third quarter. Participation grew the fastest among those born between 1995 and 2010. Adam Burns, The Canadian Press. Toronto. And while we're talking about data, Stats Canada is rolling out a whole bunch of census data today. Some of it's actually already out, but let's first listen to Don Kelly with this primer. 2021 saw the labour market tighten across the country and there are still nearly one million job vacancies. The census release will provide a snapshot of commuting habits in the spring of last year when many were working from home because of COVID-19 restrictions and workplace health and safety measures. The new data will also include details on education levels and on how many children are eligible for an English education in Quebec and a French education in the rest of the country. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press. So bear with me here because some of this data only really came out in the last few minutes. I don't have a ton of time to synthesize it before I can share it with you. But here's some broad strokes based on what Don Kelly just set up. The notion of commuting. 1.7 million less Canadians drove to work between the 2016 data and the most recent troth of data. So 1.7 million less people driving to work. It'll be interesting perhaps in 2025 to see how the pandemic may have played into data that was taken in 2021. But as for the 2021 data, 1.7 million fewer Canadians driving to work. In regards to English eligibility for English education in Quebec, 300,000 children in Quebec eligible for an English education. I don't need to get into a all the machinations of the bills in Quebec that prevents parents from choosing how that works. But 300,000 is a fairly large number. The other piece of data that came out this morning from Stats Canada shows that Canadians or Canada has the highest number of university or college-educated people in the entire G7. So the highest proportion of the population showing a university or college graduation in the entirety of the G7. So a couple pieces of data there, that's just the raw number. No analysis as of this moment because it literally came across my desk a few minutes ago. But perhaps we can dive a little bit deeper, perhaps in the news panel later this week, maybe with some analysis on the show tomorrow, or uh, I'll just keep freewheeling. And we will actually uh, be talking about this a little bit in our daily poll as well. But before we get to the daily polls, one more story, and it's about environmentalism. Australia's environment minister says she will fight a UNESCO decision to add the Great Barrier Reef to a list of endangered World Heritage Sites. Karen Chamis explains. Australian Environment Minister Tanya Pilbersek said the criticisms of her government's inaction on climate change were not justified. If this World Heritage Site is in danger, then most World Heritage Sites around the world are in danger from climate change. Pilbersek insisted the Australian government were doing all they could to save the reef. There is no need to single out the Great Barrier Reef in Australia because there is no government taking the risks to coral reefs more seriously 
uh, than the Australian government. Scientist Jodie Rummer disagreed. We cannot claim to be doing all we can for the reef at this point. We aren't. We need to be setting that message to the rest of the world that we are doing everything that we possibly can for the reef. And that means we need to take urgent action on emissions. I'm Karen Chamas. You can have these conversations about climate that sometimes involve finger pointing or at least perceived finger pointing. It strikes me as oddly defensive for a government to say, how dare you accuse our at-risk historic site of being at risk? We, we know it's at risk. That's an objective fact. And you can say, well, what about, what about, uh, what about Venice and what about these other places that are also at risk? Yeah, they're, they're, they're at risk. It's, it's, it's an objective fact. You can't take these things personally. We're trying to improve society here. We're trying to make sure our rock that floats in space doesn't just smolder and implode upon itself with volcanoes and hurricanes and rainstorms and monsoons and typhoons and everything else in between. We need to be really clear about this, that if UNESCO says the site is in danger, it's not meant to say, oh, that's strictly your fault as the Australian government. We're all collectively responsible for it. So to be so defensive about it, I don't know, it kind of tells on you a little bit. And maybe, maybe the minister is right, though. Perhaps we need to point the dirty climate change finger at all these historic sites that are truly in danger. And maybe that's going to be part of the process. But being defensive about objective truth is uh, not the best look in the world. Let's get to our daily polls. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Tuesday, we asked you, when you visit a new place, what are the accessibility features you notice? 29% of you said sidewalk design. 71% of you said elevators and ramps. 0% of you said signage. And 0% of you said other. Today's daily poll. Again, having to deal with some of that StatsCan data that is being dropped on us this morning. I want to know, how do you get to work? We're doing our own unofficial Stats Canada work over here on the AMI social media channels. How do you get to work? Do you drive, public transit, walk, or telecommute? And yes, I do understand that in many cases there is potentially a blend of all these things. And I do apologize to our TV technical producer, Bruce Paclarian, that I didn't put biking on here because our boy works his legs off every day getting that bike in there. Even in the winter, I just spent a whole bunch of time with my uh, colleagues in Montreal or some friends in Montreal who have decided to become winter bikers this year. And uh, they spent a whole bunch of money getting their bikes ready for winter, but they seem very excited about it and they're in quite good shape. So, uh, you know, they're just building on a great foundational resource over there. Alex Smythe, I know it's a bit of a hybrid for you as you were definitely filling in for me for a couple of weeks there and spending some time in the T.O. dot. But uh, Alex, how do you get to work? Well, usually it's uh, just a, a walk down the stairs into the basement uh, to my office. Uh, uh, so when I'm working at home and uh, when I'm coming to you live from uh, remotely, it's obviously tele, uh, telecommuting and uh, doing everything uh, through the, the wonderful magic of the Internet. But uh, when I do have to head into the office, as you you mentioned, Dave, you know, it, uh, when I was covering for you the uh, last uh, week or so, I typically blend a mix of public transit, whether it's taking, you know, the GO trains or or some of the other uh, TTC things, and then uh, using uh, Uber. So I guess that would 
qualify under driving, even though I'm not the one behind the wheel. Um, but I, I find that, uh, yeah, Uber is, and other ride shares are, are definitely uh, very helpful uh, of a resource to get around the city, especially um, when, when you need to get to somewhere that's not exactly close to a transit line or may just be a bit uh, uh, off the, uh, the direct path. I'm uh, blessed and privileged to be able to walk to work, and uh, there's not a lot of people in Toronto who have that privilege. So I count myself lucky every day, although I definitely made that choice when I moved here to be a little closer into walking distance, although yeah. now as the uh, plague begins to loosen up ever so slightly, although uh, every time I say that, I have to put a grain of salt <laughs> on it because the plague, it seems now we're dealing with multiple plagues, but uh, yeah. as the plague uh, loosens up, I am starting to look at moving a little bit further south here because I want to be a little closer to the bright lights of the big city and some of the fun action, and I'm feeling a little suburban over here. Let's. Talk I, I will say, I, I will say, Dave, uh, j- uh, just before, uh, uh, not to cut you off, but yeah, when I was living in the uh, in the city, I, I was like you. I, I purposely lived close to the office, and there's something very nice to that, where you are close enough that you can potentially walk, or you you don't have to rely on other modes of transportation. That you know, on a, a nice day, you don't mind 20 minutes, half an hour, just to. Uh, Going for a nice walk at the end of the day, just kind of decompress. It's it's a it's a it's the least stressful way to get to work. Yeah, so. when when you have a disability and you don't have the option of driving, to be able to control your own destiny via walking is really nice. Or if you're if you're a mobility use a mobility aid user, being able to use your mobility aid to get where you want to go without depending on paratranspo or other forms of public transit or Uber drivers, it's uh, definitely nice to control your own destiny. I was averaging about uh, ten kilometers of walking a day. Uh, in Montreal last week, which I uh, really, really enjoyed, including some fun walks to the East End, a neighborhood that I wasn't so familiar with when I lived there. So, yeah, walking's a great way to get around. But uh, where we're at in Toronto, you have to cross a, a valley, which is very complicated <laughs> if you want to be a if you want to be a pedestrian. So I claim that I live in the suburbs. I don't. I live in sort of the adjacent to the suburbs and adjacent to the downtown core. I kind of live in no man's land. But let's bring in someone who does indeed live in the burbs. It's Jeff Ryman. Jeff, I know you take the car into work when we make you come to work, but you're also kind of living this hybrid life. Yeah, I mean, a mix of basically almost all four. I mean, I walk to my <laughs> office, so you can put walking in there, uh, working from home from my laptop, so that's telecommute, um, driving today to get in, um, which I wasn't too happy about because it's pouring rain yeah, here in Toronto yeah. and it's the worst conditions to drive in uh, when it's dark and it's raining Ooh, or snowing. Ooh, the people of Vancouver would disagree with you right now, Jeff, as they're going through a snowstorm, not to step on Alex's toes in the weather reports, but uh, my West Coast group chat was popping off last night with uh, cars, cars sliding all over the Vancouver area. Give me a nice sunny morning and I will love it. Uh you know, of course, unless there's an accident on the 401 here in Toronto, then it's a huge burden. Uh, but if I were to choose an option, Dave, I think I would go with public transit, which I've done a lot in the past. When I was going to school downtown Toronto, commuting in from the suburbs of Toronto, um, taking a bus and then taking a train. Now, the bus in my area was really good. Some people uh, might disagree as you get closer to <laughs> Toronto and using the TTC and whatnot. Uh, and then I used the GO train. Um, and that was very relaxing for the most part. So I enjoyed it. I, I mean, you can just go onto the train now, um, listen to music, take a snooze, read a book, whatever you want. It's 
pretty chill. So mm -hmm. I feel like if I had the option, if I had to commute into work, I think I would like to uh, take the train a little bit more often because it is kind of relaxing. Yeah, I've popped onto that GO train from Ajax to downtown once or twice in my life. Going out from downtown to Ajax, I find a little stressful because you need to be, pay very close attention yeah. to get off the train at the right stop. Don't want to be taking a snooze on your way to Ajax because next thing you know, you're in Port Hope and you're like, oh gosh, <laughs> where am I? This isn't great. I'm in Whitby. Oh no, Whitby's no good. But when you're going the other way, when you know someone's going to drag you off the train at Union Station if you're asleep. I like that. Yeah. I like that I know, okay, I'm just going to sit in this comfy chair and watch the world go by for like, well, what's a go train ticket? Like five bucks? Like ten bucks? It's about, depending on where you live and how close you are to the city center, I would say anywhere between five and ten dollars per way. I mean, that's like super reasonable. That's pretty reasonable. Um Usually it's a fairly comfy ride. I think a lot of people still haven't transitioned fully back into office work. So if you're commuting down, you most likely would get a seat prior to the pandemic. You might have to stand, which is not that's the most not as, comfortable. That's not as relaxing. But they also had express trains from my neck of the woods, which would basically go from where I got on directly to Union Station oh, in Toronto, oh. 35 minutes. Like Ooh. you're not doing that via car uh, in, in traffic. So again, it, it's reliable. It's usually pretty speedy and it's relaxing. Love that. A little public transit talk with Jeff Ryman this morning. Jeff, by the way, thank you for uh, filling in in the audio control room today. I normally have a long preamble before I welcome in a new voice, <laughs> but thank you for taking part in the fun game of musical chairs that is now with Dave Brown. My pleasure, Dave. We'll Anytime. probably bring you in a little bit later in the show too, to talk Love about uh, stand-up comedy. In the meantime, I want you to vote on our poll. We're doing our own census data this morning, our Now with Dave Brown census data at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I stepped on Alex's toes a little bit before mentioning the snowstorms in British Columbia. So let's get to Alex with the national weather updates. No problem at all, Dave. It, it's one of those things that... Across the country, there's pretty wet and miserable weather out there, but we'll get into it. This is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. So we'll start in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's clouds, but they're clearing out this morning and it will become sunny. So Jeff can have some sunshine in his life. It's a high of negative two there. Over to Halifax, Nova Scotia. It's a mix of sun and clouds with increasing cloudiness as the day goes on. Now, tonight will be very stormy as there is a wind and rainfall warning in effect with up to 100 kilometer winds and 50 millimeters of rain expected overnight. Eight is going to be the high there. Stay indoors if, if you can over in Halifax. In Montreal, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds, then turning to rain and up to 20 millimeters expected and wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour with a high of eight. There was also a windfall warning in effect with the high winds that could reach 90 kilometers per hour overnight there. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's clouds and rain off and on today, up to 25 millimeters of rain expected and wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. The high there is also eight. Here in Toronto, Ontario, as we, we heard from Dave and Jeff, it's rain and possible thunderstorms this morning but then it will become cloudy later in their 70 kilometer wind gusts with a special weather uh, statement in effect due to the wind. The high is 11, but it's gonna drop to zero by the afternoon. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, 
There's periods of light and blowing snow this morning with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. And another special weather statement is in effect due to snowfall overnight and this morning. The high is minus four. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, there's light and blowing snow in the morning, and then it'll become a mix of sun and clouds with the wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour. And the high is minus 11, but with the wind chill, it's gonna feel closer to minus 26. Over to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, it's a mix of sun and clouds and becoming cloudier as the day goes on. The high is minus 16, but with that wind chill, it feels like minus 22. In Calgary, Alberta, there's snow today with up to four centimeters expected, a high of minus 18, but feeling like minus 29. To Edmonton, Alberta, it's very similar. There's snow again with up to four centimeters expected, but it's a little bit warmer with a high of minus 17 and only feeling like minus 22. Now up in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, this is the frigid area that, uh, of air that we're dealing with. It's a mix of sun and clouds with possible snow in the morning. The high is minus 26, but that wind chill makes it feel like minus 43. Over to Vancouver, BC, we heard that there was snowfall last night. Well, that snow is changing to a chance of rain this morning. So it's gonna be very ugly conditions out there. It's gonna be also a high of four degrees. And finally in Victoria, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this morning, but it will clear in the afternoon. Wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of four. That's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, we look ahead to the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. There are all kinds of events happening. Andrika Delanerol will highlight a few. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. As you are well aware, December 3rd marks the UN International Day of Persons with Disabilities, which means there are going to be a whole bunch of announcements and events going on. We'll be talking about it on this show before and after the fact. But there's so much going on that we thought that perhaps a bit of guidance was in line. So our senior producer, Andrika Delanerol, is here to highlight a couple of events around Canada. Hey, good morning, Andrika. Good morning, Dave. How's it going? Not too shabby. So, Andrika, when I say there's a whole bunch going on, I mean <laughs> there is a whole bunch going on. So let's start with a bit of a recommendation on your end because you spent some time sifting through events to highlight. How should somebody go about navigating what event to attend? <laughs> There are so many. Um, and I think, you know what, what I realized when I was searching through, um, because you have to remember there's events all around the, the world and a lot of um, organizations are going uh, virtual with their events, which means that you could access an event in America or in other countries out in Europe or, um, you know, different continents and all that. But I think what it comes down to is uh, where you're located and when you want to attend an event and when you're available to. Uh, International Day of Persons with Disabilities is Saturday, but events have already started. Um, some organizations have started this week, some are going into next week, some are throughout the weekend. So really, I think it comes down to uh, when you're able to attend, um, whether that's in person or virtually. 
I honestly think that, um, you know, especially if you're in a metropolitan area, um, look at uh, the events that are being put on by your city, because um, chances are, and I, I, it's sad to say this, but the bigger the event, and especially if it's run by a city or even a province, the higher the chance that the event will be fully accessible for um, various kinds of accommodations. So whether that's um, things like audio description or descriptive video or closed captioning, live transcription, uh, live ASL interpretation, things like that, um, those are probably your best bet. So that's how I would go about narrowing it down mm. is based on what what you're available to do when when you could do it and and really what what you need for that event to be accessible because unfortunately even though these events are for international day of uh, persons with disabilities, not all of them are fully accessible, right. which is really sad, which is part of the conversation, yeah. which makes no sense to yeah, me, but that's, definitely, that's my observation. <laughs> that's definitely <laughs> one of the threads we're going to be tugging at over the course of the next seven days or so, uh, culminating in a roundtable with Marco Pasqua and Elizabeth Moeller uh, next Wednesday. But, Andrika, I would also say part of this is about deciding what you want to get out of an event, because these events can range from very serious to very fun. So one of the events you want to highlight is a Canadian-based event that has to do with gaming. So what's going on with the Game for Access event? This one I just I just came across, and I think it is so awesome. So this is put on by Easter Seals Canada, and the actual event is called ES Gaming's Game for Access, and that is four with the number four. Um, and what they're doing is essentially they're trying to raise awareness on making gaming and especially online gaming accessible and inclusive for gamers with disabilities. Um, there's a lot of gamers, uh, avid gamers who um, enter these spaces and they're not treated well or the spaces aren't inclusive and accessible to them. So this is a very neat initiative to really um, create a dialogue on 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 this niche market mm -hmm. niche, but is a massive market. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, oh, yeah. there's a lot of gamers with disabilities out there. And there's a lot of people with disabilities who want to game, but maybe they don't know if this game, this very popular game is accessible. For oh yeah. Them. So, and, and, and sorry, I'm not, not to yeah. interrupt you, not to interrupt you, but like I am one of these individuals who has to make mm -hmm. a lot of choices and occasionally throws away $30 on a game and then realizes, <laughs> Ooh, they See? didn't think yeah. at all about accessibility or about the user experience of someone who's a little more lights sensitive. Exactly. And there's so many different things, you know, um, I know on the show, we've covered different gaming stories. And it comes down to, you know, it could be contrast, it could be like, I know Nelson Rago was talking the other day about um, what was it about TVs, but even, you know, black and white options, yeah, yeah. Um, things like that. There's so many different types of accommodations um, for gamers. And we have seen over the years, games improve those aspects of accessibility, but there's still a long way to go. It's Oof, not yeah. every game. Um, I know like EA Sports has done it for a few of their sports games, which is really neat, but we really need to see more movement in that industry. So and, this is, and, and for this fear, is part and, of that and conversation. For, and for fear of their great lawyers contacting this program, they've backslid a little <laughs> bit. They were really good a couple of years ago and they've backslid a little bit with some of their design choices. It's true. It's true. But we've seen a little bit. I know, like, um, I think Xbox had, like, an accessible gaming controller. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's coming. It's coming. But I 
you know, industries need to move faster because I always say, hey, if you open it up, you're going to get way more money in your pocket because <laughs> yeah. so many more people are going to buy those $80 games and $80 controllers. But yeah, hey, check out this event. It's called ES Gaming's Game for Access. It's a streamathon. It's going for several hours from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern on Twitch this Saturday, December 3rd. And it's going to have influ influencers with disabilities in the gaming world playing. Um, and, and they're from, when I say gaming world, like all, also, like, I think there's, it's beyond Canada as well. So mm -hmm. anyone can mm -hmm. check this out. Um, they're going to have uh, different games like Rocket League, Minecraft, and Fortnite. Um, you could even uh, click on the link, like, now. The link is twitch.tv slash game for access and again that's the number four if you were to go to that link right now you could pretty much catch gamers playing right now right and on. that's a huge thing in the community is people like to watch other people game which i don't really get but it's a huge <laughs> thing on youtube it is i know people love it so I, I check am, it out i am one of those passive consumers of watching other people <laughs> play games uh and Drika, let's let's keep moving through here because this one's maybe a little bit more serious but it's got that tinge of the fun and the holiday spirit it's the makers making change program a program offered by the neil squire society they're putting on events with that holiday theme so what do they have on deck? This is really neat, and we've uh, we've had uh, some of the organizers uh, organizers from this um, uh, from Makers Making Change on the show back in June, and I'm so glad that they're doing this. They're putting on an event called Hacking for the Holidays, and essentially what it is is it's open to. Um, really anyone, uh, whether you have a disability or not, they're encouraging people to attend um, and to bring toys with you and to learn ways on how to adapt your toys so that they're inclusive and accessible to children. Now, I know it's a little bit odd because, first of all, toy makers should be making their toys accessible to kids. Um, but as we know, that's not the case. So this is an interesting uh, thing that they're doing uh, for people to get creative with the toys that you're kind of giving away, giving for the holidays mm -hmm. uh, it's a great way to think to think inclusion uh this holiday season especially when you're buying toys for kids so uh what they're doing is they're um they're they are in-person events they're going to be providing tools and instructions on how to adapt the toys and they're also going to teach you how to do it so that um it would be compatible with uh, things like assistive switches um, and different devices like that. So it's very awesome. You should check it out. Um, all skills are all skill levels are welcome, and um, also they're asking you to bring in some of your toys. But part of the sessions is that every toy and device um, that they're working on is they're going to be uh, donating it as uh, part of their hacking for the holidays campaign. So it's going to be given to a child with a disability this holiday season. Very cool. There are various states in the country, and I'll mention some right now very quickly. December 2nd, if you're in Fredericton, New Brunswick, you can check it out. December 3rd, they're going to be in Vancouver, B.C., and December 4th, they're going to be in Halifax, Nova Scotia. All right We're on. going to share all the info on the blog, by the way. Yeah, so. ami.ca slash now for folks to head over to get a lot more information about this. We're, again, just painting a bit of a thumbnail sketch here 
because mm-hmm. there are like dozens and dozens and dozens of events going on. Andrika, one more here. And if we had one strong editorial position on the show, it's that we support public libraries. Well, public <laughs> libraries are also going to be offering up some resources on the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. So what did they have on offer? Yes. Yeah, so here's the one thing is that not every public library is participating, which is unfortunate, but there but are still, some. But we still support work. public libraries collectively yes. on the show. <laughs> public libraries, of course, great resource for people. And it is the key to education, I think, especially free education uh, in this country. And so various cities across the country are um, doing a special theme programming for International Day of Persons with Disabilities. So I do encourage you to check out your local uh, branch. But uh, I'll name a few here. You got Halifax Public Library. Um, they're doing something right now that you don't have to wait till Saturday to participate in this. Right now, if you were to head to their website, they do have a series of videos and online content per pertaining to uh, International Day of Persons with Disabilities. And that's everything from the history of the day to educational resources that explore the stats of um, uh, disability in the country and even in, in the province of Nova Scotia, talking about things like barriers. Uh, they're also providing um, resources on understanding disability and diversity within disability, also things like invisible disabilities. So it's it's super educational, um, definitely uh, inclusive for everyone. I know there's a lot of um, adaptive tools there, so definitely check it out. That's the Halifax Public Library. And then, of course, there's other libraries in the country, a bit of a smaller a library or smaller city. Newcastle Library has a whole week of um, inclusive library uh, programming um, pertaining to inclusive sports, uh, tips on how to adapt your workplace. They have an inclusive art workshop. And of course, there's also uh, Vancouver Public Library. Uh, they've uh, put out some book list recommendations uh, regarding disability and accessibility targeted for kids and teenagers. So check it out. You never know if your local branch is, uh, is hosting something. Andrika, worth a try. thank you for scouring the web for us. We appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, no problem. My pleasure. That's Andrika Delanerol, our senior show producer. And for more information on these events, you can visit our blog, ami.ca slash now. Coming up next, we have a serious conversation with Shane Baker. We'll discuss the importance of taking mental health breaks. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There are lots of things you can do to manage your mental health. There are tangible things like self-care. There are intangible things like gratitude. Of course, there's also working with therapists and other professionals. No matter what you do preemptively, the fact is you may still find yourself facing a serious mental health challenge. That's when you have to do something else and take a mental health break. So let's talk about this with Shane Baker. Hey, good morning, Shane. Nice to chat with you once again. Good morning, Dave. How are you doing today? I'm well. So Shane, I, I know this is going to take a little bit of vulnerability. We're about to have a very personal conversation, but what's going on with you right now? Yeah, I, I think um, it's been building for a while. I think that um, my mental health has has progressed to a place where um, I keep running into difficulties. 
I might have a, a little stretch of uh, a, a week or, you know, a few days, but um, usually what keeps happening is I keep returning to a place um, that's been uh, difficult for me to manage on my own. And, and I've been seeking out some medical support and also have, um, you know, a counselor that I, that I, that I speak with. And I just got into a place where it's, it's time to, to put on, take a, take a little hold and, and, um, you know, take a little bit of a inventory of myself. Shane, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about the challenges that you've been facing. Um, I, I hope you don't find this too invasive, but, but I'm curious how your body might have been manifesting that if your body was sending you signals about what you're feeling. Yeah, I think, I think it was progressive, Dave. I, I think, um, you know, a lot of the things that me and you discussed, um, discuss here on this, on this segment here, um, basically started to uh, fade away. So all those self-care practices that I try to implement into my life, whether it's, um, you know, meditation or breathing, or like you said, gratitude, but also those important things like getting out for a walk and, you know, getting our hearts pumping as they were, you know, and, um, and, and, and those things started to slip and I, and, and I see that I was in a little bit of a survival mode and it was just, it was was like, I kept stumbling and I, and I couldn't find my, um, you know, my, um, um, my balance again. And, and, and sure enough, a few days later, you know, I, I start to feel, um, you know, symptoms again. And, and so I think it was progressive. I think I started to notice some increased anxiety. I started to, um, you know, um, have difficult times falling asleep at night, uh, just holding on to whatever I was doing during the day. I think there was quite a few different things that were going on for me. And, and, um, you know, in this, this world, we don't, we don't really have a chance to, to stop. And, and so that's sort of where, where I'm at right now. Uh, along those lines, over the course of the time we've gotten to know you on this show, you've taken on quite a bit, especially with school and work. On the surface, these are really positive, aspirational things that, that bring positives to our lives, but they're also super hard work. How challenging is that to strive for something that you know is good, but that also comes with just an immense energy drain? Yeah. And, and, you know, like five years ago, I couldn't have even imagined doing what I've been doing in the last, you know, since about June. Um, and since we've entered September, I've been, you know, working and, and also, um, going to school and, and it's been incredibly draining. Um, you know, there was, there was weeks and months where I wouldn't even have, um, 30 minutes to myself I would I would work in the morning from 8 until 9 30 have school at 10 30 get home you know like it was it was never ending and that's coming from a person who who really really um appreciates his downtime and enjoys like picking up his iPad and watching one of his shows like um you know so (laughs) Shane as as you take this mental health break, do you plan on a full down unplug for a few days before you even begin devising a plan? I know that when I hit a burnout wall, I shut down the whole operation for two or three days before I even <laughs> think about proactively tackling my issues. I, I almost think of it as a full reboot. So, what what's your plan here in the in the near future? Is it a full shutdown? 
Well, and, and that's the thing. And, and, I'm, and I'm still stuck in this predicament right now where um, I still have to finish, uh, you know, my schooling. Um, it, it doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Um, you know, it's like those due dates are still there. And, and yes, the university has some understanding and some, you know, but the end, at the end of the day, you have to get it done. And, um, and so I, I'm, I'm very close to that point where I can just, um, you know, just, just put things on hold. And I've, I've been slowly tapering away things um, in the last few weeks, but it just hasn't been enough, Dave. And, and that's why I, I approached you and your, your crew to, to let you know that, you know, it's time for me to, um, you know, to really focus on myself. And, and if I'm not well, then I'm not going to be able to do any of these things that I, that I, that I love to do. And, and, and this is, this is definitely one of them. I always look forward to coming together and, and having these, these, these quaint discussions with you. Mm. Well, Shane, for the sake of transparency, we, as we discussed, uh, we did give you the option to just step away right away, but you wanted to come on and have this conversation publicly before taking a little break from the show. And just so you know, whether it's months or whether it's a year, you are welcome back as soon as you're ready. But I'm I'm curious why it was you wanted to have this vulnerable conversation today and sort of, I don't want to say goodbye, like say that it was a goodbye, but why you wanted to have this conversation publicly to share what you're going through with the audience. I think, I think first and foremost, I appreciated the response I received. I think so often we can get worried about, you know, what's going to happen if we bring this to our employer or our school or, or whatever. And I was really greeted with understanding and compassion and and I think that was a really big lesson for me because I I, I can sometimes anticipate the worst and I, I know that um, my situation is not unique. Um, I know my experiences are unique, but I know that um, there's a lot of people struggling right now. Um, there's a lot of people who are dealing with loss. A lot of people are sick. There's there's children who are who are struggling with um, respiratory viruses and we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And I really just wanted to come on and, and, and just say like, you know, at the end of the day, we, we have ourselves to count on and, and, and um, you know, and I just really needed to like honor how I was feeling and, um, and respect where I'm at right now. And, and to, to encourage the viewers who are listening to, to um, you know, if they're feeling like similar to me, that they need to need to stop for a minute and and realize that the, these health issues aren't just going to magically disappear. They're going to take a little bit of planning, sometimes pulling back, um, seeking out support. You know, I know for myself, even just um, really recently, you know, in the last little bit while since the last time we talked, um, you know, I really had to start being honest with my family and friends around me. And, and I think that was a really, really, really big turning point because all of a sudden I, I didn't feel like I was by myself. I, I, I had, I had my partner and I have my, my family and friends and, 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 you know, even professional people who support me and, and, um, you know, the people at my work have been great and, and so supportive. And, and so I just want to encourage people out there to, to reach out to somebody to, 
to to listen to themselves, to listen to those signs, and and to also put some value on on those things that we talk about. Um, you know, even even in this chilly weather, trying to get some exercise. You know, trying to stay away from all the chips and processed food. <laughs> like all those all those things have an impact, and and I think that's that's it, it wasn't one magical thing for me. It was it was a bunch of little things, and so I hope to use this next little bit over this next month to really regroup and. And, and, you know, I, I, I appreciate the offer and, and I'll definitely just keep working away at myself and hopefully I'll be able to come back and join you all again. Shane, we deeply admire your honesty and vulnerability. We're grateful for the time you spend with us. We're sending you love and encouragement over the course of this time that you're taking to finish your studies and finish your work. And when you're ready to come back, the door is open for you. So please, please stay in touch. And with lots of love, we say see you later for now. Thank you, my friend. That's Shane Baker talking about the importance of taking a mental health break. We practice what we preach here on Now with Dave Brown. Mental health is critically important. Self-care is critically important. And we're deeply grateful to Shane for sharing his honesty with us this morning. Coming up next, we lighten up the mood, literally, as community reporter Derek Lackey will describe two holiday light shows that are coming to Winnipeg. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We're endeavoring to get a hold of Derek Lackey, but uh, apparently these Christmas show lights are so exciting that Derek's already out there gazing at the beautiful colors all over the prairies in Winnipeg, Manitoba. No sweat. We've got lots to talk about. Plenty going on in the world, including more troubles at Twitter. There's a fight brewing between Apple and Twitter. Michelle Franzen has the tale of the tape in Tech Trends. This week, Elon Musk said Apple is threatening to remove Twitter from its app store. So in his tweet, Elon accused Apple of doing this because they hate free speech. 9 to 5 Max Chance Miller says Musk didn't provide any evidence that Apple was planning to ban Twitter. But one thing is certain, Apple is focused on Twitter's content moderation policies. And of course, one of the things Elon said about how he plans to run Twitter is that it'll be a free speech haven with very little moderation. Miller says if Apple does choose to ban Twitter, it will more likely be a temporary ban, not a permanent one. But the question is, if it goes away temporarily, whether Twitter will abide by Apple's demands or whether Elon will basically keep fighting Apple and is willing to take the risk of Twitter not being available to iPhone users. With Tech Trends, I'm Michelle Franzen, ABC News. Ah, that's why Michelle Franzen is our friend, helping us occupy a little bit of time. We endeavored, we made our way out to the prairies, and we got a hold of community reporter Derek Lackey. Hey, good morning, Derek. How are you, sir? Not bad. How's it going, Dave? Ah, not too shabby. Derek, I'm excited because it's a holiday season, and one of my favorite parts of the holiday season is indeed the light shows and some of the festivities. So... Winter Wonderland at Red River Park. Derek, give me the primer on this event. 
So this is a fantastic event. I've seen this event uh, before I lost my eyesight, and it's it's absolutely wonderful, and it's a really great time to get out with the family and, and enjoy, you know, what, what it is about uh, the season that makes everyone happy, the lights, the festivities, the happiness of it. So it takes place out at our Red River Exhibition Park. It's over a two-kilometer stretch drive-through area where they've lit up several different sections, approximately 26 of them, with over a million and a half lights. Oh, wow. Uh, and they've really lit it up for the season. There's music, there's uh, individuals walking around, some in costumes. You know, there's some great opportunities if the weather is really nice for some photo ops as well as some food trucks, getting those mini donuts and hot chocolate and always a necessity when when out uh, enjoying some of our winter weather. And, you know, you, you get to drive through and you get to see all the different displays put together and, and the kids really enjoy it, you know, watching uh, all these different lights that do have um, some functionality to them so it'll look like a reindeer jumping across the road with Santa's sleigh and the lights all move with it. It's it's absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, if you're, if you're one of the first 100 cars on a Wednesday night to come and get them uh, to go through... You know, you get a, a nice pair of holographic glasses that uh, really kind of put a little extra sparkle around all of the lights that you observe for the kids. So it's it's a fantastic uh, a fantastic opportunity to get out there and enjoy, uh, you know, these different displays that we put on and enjoy the weather. Derek, I'm a total child, and uh, there was a place in Ottawa that does something similar to this every year, and my friend Tara used to come pick me up, and I'd sit in the passenger seat, and we would both just totally get in touch with our inner holiday child, and I'd drive through and listen to Christmas music. It's a whole bunch of fun. Speaking of fun, it's not just one light show available for folks. One of the places you talk about a lot in your segment is the Assiniboine Park. Well, they have some zoo lights set up this year. What did they have planned from December 1st to the 8th, to January the 8th? So at the zoo lights, it's kind of the same idea, but instead of uh, being like Canada's uh, the, the Wonderland lights, uh, you know, and sitting inside your vehicle and driving through Red River Exhibition Park, the zoo lights is actually a walkthrough, so you can get out and walk around. It's very similar to Boo at the Zoo. You know, you get to go around and walk through. Uh, again, it's another two-kilometer uh, track that they have, and they have over 1.5 million lights as well um, that they put up with different displays, and they have people dressed in costumes uh, enjoying uh, the weather and, and making it a little bit fun for the kids. You know, there's there's a wonderful new uh, heated uh, inflatable dome tent that they've purchased where they're going to have some live uh, entertainment. There's different shows on uh, throughout the 31 days that this event will be running. Uh, so you can enjoy some live entertainment, some good eats. So always like usual, we'll probably have some La Poutine there, you know, and oh, then, yeah. uh, you know, hot chocolate and mini donuts as well, as well as a few other uh, enjoyable uh, beverages, whether they're uh, for the adults or for the children. Um, you know, and there's there's lots to come out and see and, and for the kids to walk around and enjoy and experience, uh, you know, and the beauty about being outside and that not everything has to be about being inside and in front of a TV or a video game for these kids that you can always enjoy no matter what the weather is, what the season has to hold for us. Derek, you mentioned mini donuts twice there. I'm curious, is that kind of a Winnipeg thing this time of year? Are mini donuts a particular holiday tradition on the prairies? 
You know what? Mini donuts are kind of a thing all year round around here. You know, at, at the Forks, uh, we have a mini donut shop that will sell uh, mini donuts hot, fresh, and ready right there. Uh, you can actually watch the machine work as they make them and they mix them up for you. But mini donuts is a big thing here. We have the Festival de Voyageur. Uh, a lot of our outdoor festivals will have mini donut carts as well as, as beaver tails and, mm. and, and ice creams and, and bison burgers and all the all the good things that you want to be out uh, eating. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a nice thing at the Festival, they do different flavors like strawberry and, and chocolate and vanilla and plain and uh, all, all kinds of flavors. Dave, it's, it's just, it's a fat man's paradise. Derek, what, what can I say? Anybody who's given me a hug would know that about 315 of my 320 pounds is mostly mini donuts. So uh, I'm a fan as well year round. And next time I'm out there in Winnipeg, I'm going to have to find that place in the forks. Derek, we got to get out of here, my friend, but all the best to you. I think this is the last time we're chatting in person before Christmas. So all the best to you and the family. I know you guys like to celebrate. You too as well, Dave, and everyone there at AMI. Thank you very much. That is Derek Lackey, community reporter in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Of course, uh, for those light shows, for more details about the specificities, you can visit our blog, ami.ca slash now, as it is indeed holiday season in on the prairies and pretty much everywhere around the world. They've uh, started with the Christmas lights and the Christmas music around the mall where we work, including the giant lit up reindeer, which I uh, enjoy. Although sometimes when it's dark in the morning, it's like a little too bright. A little too much. I don't need that kind of wake-up call. So I'm walking through the shops at Don Mills. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news update. Brock Richardson will be here with a sports chat. And will I have an update on the volcano in Hawaii? We'll see. The lava always flows on Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, November the 30th, 2022. And as I do, when we have a show on the last day of the month, we crumple up the paper and we cast November away. Coming up in the second hour of the show, John Lepke gives you his thoughts on this year's International Day of Persons with Disabilities. We'll also catch up with Nizreen and not Nizreen, Nizreen's not here today, with Ramya and Alex and Jeff. And we'll ask the question, who makes you laugh? Because I was recommended to watch the new Trevor Noah stand-up special on Netflix, and I did. I laughed a little bit. So I wonder if my soul is too dark that I can no longer enjoy comedy. But we'll see if anybody can offer me some curation and recommendations to help me be a little more jolly. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. As I mentioned before the break, I wanted to give you a lava update because there's really only one thing in this world hotter than my takes, and that is indeed lava. So let's follow up on a story from yesterday. It's Volcano Watch in Hawaii. The Mauna Lao volcano continues to erupt on the big island. Reporter Mola Lanih is there. Oh, we can't find the clip. If you scroll back a little teensy bit there in the script there, Jeffy, we can fire that one off. 
Scientists reporting fountains of lava, some rising as high as 200 feet at times on Mauna Loa, as two new lava flows opened up on the mountainside. Gas, ash, and molten rock have been pouring from the world's largest active volcano since it erupted for the first time in nearly 40 years. So far, the lava streams pose no immediate threat to communities, but health officials are warning about the impact of VOG, or volcanic smog, on air quality. People with respiratory problems told to take precautions and limit their exposure. Even though there's no evacuation order in place, officials have opened shelters for people who choose to leave their homes. That's a little bit of international news. Let's get to the regional news update. The 7th BC Cabinet and First Nations Leaders Gathering is underway. The Grand Chief of the Union of British Columbia Indian Chiefs says the meetings will focus on key issues including homelessness, health care and other resources. Stuart Phillip feels there's progress being made. And I think we've moved beyond the eye talk. I think we've moved beyond the flirting. And I think now is the time with the foundation and platform of the Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act to do some serious work. The gathering includes more than 200 First Nations and organizations. Over to Ontario, where Ontario's Auditor General will deliver their annual report today. Don Kelly looks ahead. Bonnie Lissick is going to report on the cost-effectiveness and timeliness of COVID-19-related contracts and procurements. Other audits will delve into urban flooding, conserving the Niagara Escarpment, management of invasive species, and management of hazards such as forest fires, droughts, and gas wells. Two audits touch on the energy sector, looking at oversight and consumer protection by the Ontario Energy Board and management and maintenance of hydroelectric generating stations by Ontario Power Generation. Don Kelly, The Canadian Press, Toronto. And let's finish in Atlantic Canada, where the Nova Scotia government is expecting a feasibility study about a framework to resolve landlord and tenant disputes. The contract calls for Davis Peer Consulting to come up with a comprehensive program designed detailing the cost of implementing the system. Both tenants' rights groups and landlord associations have been calling for an enforcement system. The consultants will be asked to look at whether Nova Scotia needs specialized officers with the power to issue fines and investigate issues, such as reports of tenants being forced out of their apartments. That's your look at the regional news. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. All right, Brock, let's run the gambit here a little bit, beginning with an update on the Para Hockey Cup that you've been sharing all week long. Yes, so today is a uh, unique day in the sense that we get our uh, final round robin games. And the first one is the one that I'm going to highlight as sort of the most intrigue in the sense of what I believe is going to be the best game of the day and we'll talk about why again in a second but Italy and Slovakia neither team has a victory and neither team has scored a goal some of you are looking at me like are you crazy this is this doesn't sound like a a a good tease well this is because Canada and the U.S. are are farther ahead on both of these nations so you're going to see the opportunity for both of these nations play games against each other which are going to be a bit more meaningful than the games for them against the Canada and the U.S. So that's happening at um, 10, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. And you can go to the uh, Hockey Canada uh, website to cast the uh, live stream. And then 
Of course, we have Canada taking on the United States in their round-robin game at 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. And and Dave, as we spoke about yesterday, about a format like this and how the round-robin game might not mean much more than just your placing. Do you feel like if one team doesn't give it their all and because they're not showing all their cards necessarily, do you feel like that's a disrespect to any sport, ooh, in this case, para-ice hockey? That's a good question as to whether or not a non-consequential game or a game based around seeding might not require the strategic all-outness in a larger tournament. I don't know if I'd call it disrespectful to the sport, Brock, but it's a dangerous habit because so much about athletics at, at the high level is repetition and getting your reps in and developing a philosophy of, to, to, quote, to quote Aristotle or to paraphrase Aristotle, we are what we do repeatedly, right? So what kind of break in your rhythm do you create by not going all out in one of these games? But Brock, you've been an elite level athlete. The most elite I've been is uh, like high school basketball uh, where I was simply on the team because I was tall. What do you think about your own question? Yeah, it's, I, I mean, this is a tough one to answer. Uh, coaches, when I played all through my career, bocce coaches hated when games didn't mean uh, much. And if we were playing games for seating purposes, coaches hated it. And the first thing they'd come, you'd come off the court and they'd say, why didn't you keep your foot on the gas pedal? Well, because I already knew, I no, 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 it's still a game and it's still the reps. And you are absolutely right. It's very hard to, to dig yourself out of the habit, even if it is just one game. It's very hard to dig yourself out of the habit um, as you need it. Now, in this case for Canada and the United States, they're both going to have a quote-unquote easier semifinal because they're not going to have to play each other. But still, you're running the risk of... of letting habits creep in that you don't want to see, which may not bode well for the what we anticipate Canada-US gold medal game. It's it's very tough to, uh, to, to keep, take your foot off the gas pedal and then subsequently put it back to the floor almost immediately. So, Brock, let's turn to the World Cup. Before we look ahead to today, let's look back on yesterday where the Netherlands and Senegal are both through in Group A. The Netherlands, unsurprising, no need to dwell on that too much. But Senegal with the big win over Ecuador, 2-1. Brock, your reaction to the Senegalese team getting through? Man, Senegal is one of those teams that really has, I think, surprised a lot of people. Everything I kept hearing yesterday was, oh, this is a young team. Nobody expected the young team to, to, to do this year. They all expected 2026, and some of that you're hearing with Canada as well. But the fact is, when you um, get into the knockout stages, you never know what might happen here. And I know they've got a, a bit of a mismatch coming here in the, in the round of 16 against England. But still, you never know. In a one-game uh, playoff, you just never, ever do know what happens. I really enjoy watching them because you can almost sort of feel that there's less pressure on them as they're playing. Mm -hmm. You can sort of feel like they're having fun. And that's sort of the, the misnomer in sports is people forget that sports is intended to be fun. And sometimes with the <laughs> pressure of sports, How dare you, Brock? To, I know, right? Like sometimes with sports, we forget that, Oh yeah, we're on the World Cup stage, and this is supposed to be fun. So 
Um, they have a, they have a tough test coming up on the weekend against England, uh, 2 p.m. on Sunday. But still, they have to understand what they've accomplished is something that I don't think anyone expected. One of the things that has made the Senegal run to get through to the knockout stage so impressive is they're without their best player, Saldio Mane, who's of uh, the Liverpool fame. He's one of the best attackers in the world. And they went through without him being part of the squad. It's unclear whether or not he'll have the fitness to go in the knockout stage. Been dealing with injuries all year long over there in Liverpool. If he plays, that gives them that boost, that elite player. In fact, if he plays against England, he would potentially be the best player on the pitch. So people are going to be paying very close attention to see if Mane is available this weekend against England. But a huge, huge accomplishment by Senegal getting through in Group A. Let's talk a little bit about Group B, Brock. I don't think it's necessarily a surprise that England thumped Wales and got through, nor is it necessarily a surprise that the United States beat Iran one nothing. But that U.S.-Iran game was everything that I think we expected it to be in the sense that, well, I'm going to censor myself here. It was a real clencher. You can imagine what may have been being clenched, but there was some clenching going on in that very tight game. Yes, there was. And it was, it was a, um, a very good game. You could actually hear the tension even with the uh, broadcasters. I ended up tuning into uh, Fox, which, mm-hmm. Newsflash was very heavy on on the United States. Yeah, they're still doing a better job than TSN, though. Oh, my gosh. The TSN broadcast is just awful. Like, it's brutal. It's an embarrassment. Sorry. Continue, Brock. Yeah, no, but – and you're right. That's why I tuned into that, to the the Fox broadcast. But you could just even feel the tension there uh, when uh, the United States finally scored. But with that injury that was associated with that goal was uh, just – just a bit of a thing. I mean, he, yeah, he came back. Christian Pulisic, he, he scores yeah. the goal, but took a knee or a head right in the gut as he scored it. Yeah. And so that's, I mean, that's going to be, um, going to be a thing everyone's going to watch for too. And I haven't heard, maybe you have, I haven't heard whether or not, uh, he's, he'll be okay to go for, uh, the knockout stage match, he, but he, uh, he posted on social last night from his hospital room that uh, he was going to be good to go. But anytime somebody posts a selfie in a hospital bed, I'm uh, always a little bit leery. I take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean, credit to him for literally like he was off the court for uh, off the court, off the pitch, uh, for, for a good amount of time and then came back and really tried to, to give it his all. So, I mean, Given all that, you know, you got to give credit. But again, uh, we'll see. We'll see how things go. Um, the United States will play uh, the Netherlands on Saturday at 10 a.m., which, again, could be a mismatch. But you never know with a uh, uh, one-game playoff. Yeah, absolutely. Brock, let's look at the four games today, although maybe focusing on all four might not be uh, the most useful uh, use of our time, including the fact that the mathematical machinations of trying to figure out who gets through based on what results, uh, we would be, we need Stephen Hawking for that. We would need a blackboard and multiple formulas and all kinds of things to get through. To me, Brock, the most interesting game is Poland and Argentina at two o'clock. Two of the best attackers in the world, Lionel Messi for Argentina, Robert Lewandowski for Poland. 
Argentina has been very good during the tournament, despite the surprising loss to Saudi Arabia in the first game. Top 10 in all major categories in regards to ball control and shots on goal and successful passing. But all of that means nothing because Poland plays that great Central European style of just bombing the ball downfield and trying to run behind your defenders. So this is a really interesting contrast in styles today between two squads that might not make it through if they don't win the game based on the mathematical machinations. Yeah, and and it's funny because you look at Argentina after after being upset in in game one, and everyone was kind of hitting the panic button. But they've come back and they've put themselves into mathematical contention, which I'm not even going to attempt to try to. Oh, it's to impossible, do like, dude! It's like impossible. You, um, but it's I, this is why I like March Madness because it's like you win, you move on. That's it. Uh, there's no math equated to that event, but <laughs> but uh, it's 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 it's. Uh, I was never good in math, Dave. To be honest with you, so. Um, but yes, it's going to be a very good game, and and I look forward for Argentina just to kind of, you know, play that style of game that everyone expected them to play. They've got to push push Poland, and they've got to they've got to push them a little bit, and and you know, insert their their. Argentina ways of, of we are the better team. I'm not sure that I can definitively say they're the better team, but we'll see what happens today at 2 p.m. But that is the one that I also earmarked for today uh, that I'll be watching. Yeah, Australia and Denmark are going right now. There's a lot of consequences in that game, but uh, it's tough to preview because neither team is particularly interesting and they, they've both had a fairly underwhelming tournament so far, but one of them will get through based on the result of that game. But again, mathematical machinations will be here all day. Brock, let's uh, talk about my favorite hockey team, the Montreal Canadiens. While I was on vacation, I went to a game at the Bell Centre, and as I told you about that, it prompted a question in your mind. Yes, uh, there is no doubt that Montreal is one of the hot spots in Canada for hockey. My question for you is, having been there, what do you think makes the organization such in such a position to be where they are? And there's, at the same time, though, Dave, when you see Montreal go really bad, you see the media, the fans, you know, jump off the bandwagon, <laughs> yeah. do all that. But but they are such a a um, passionate fan base. And I'm wondering, sitting in the seats for you, what did you see from an organization that maybe those of us that aren't in the building, maybe we don't have our finger on? So the vibe check around Habsland is pretty good right now, despite the fact that they're in the middle of a rebuild. The fact is they've played about 500 hockey all year long, winning a game, losing a game, winning a game, losing a game. And even the game that I was at last week where they fell down 3 nothing in the first four minutes of the game and proceeded to lose the game 7-2, Brock, the Boo Birds didn't come out. The people in the stands were just excited to be there because there's a real palpable feeling around some of the young players on this team. Lots of encouraging play from Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. It seems like the Kirby Doc trade was a stroke of genius by Kent Hughes. People were really, really excited about the rookie defenseman, Caden Gooley, and he was evidently an excellent player on the ice when I was there last Tuesday. Right now, Montreal's put themselves in a position where wins are wins 
and losses are wins because they win the game. It's an objective win. When they lose a game, it means they're potentially getting a better draft pick. Right now, the vibes in Habsland are great. And I think that has to do with the management system, which is uh, Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon, who've really come forward with a coherent plan that says, we are in the middle of a rebuild, but we still want to build a competitive hockey team. The vibe check is good right now. The vibe check is good, but those vibes can turn ugly real fast. So talk to me again in February when they're on a five or six game losing streak and maybe people may not feel quite as confident about the process. Right. And I mean, I did watch uh, yesterday's game uh, against the Sharks, which they did lose. But the thing I noticed about Montreal is they are very, very gung-ho. Like they, 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 they want to play hockey and I know it seems such a funny thing for me to say uh, that they want to play hockey but as a young team I just noticed so many good things however the one thing I did notice last night when I was watching the game is they're looking for the perfect situation where it's like we're on a power play but let's get the perfect shot as opposed to like peppering the goaltender and I know you see this a lot in other hockey organizations where it's like the power play you might only get you know three or four shots and it's like guys you had three or four chances where you just could have just lined it to the goaltender and just see what happens I just noticed with Montreal they're a bit more timid when they have the the power play that I think as they mature and get older they're going to be much much better because the skill is very clearly there it's just some of the the fundamentals of literally if you don't shoot you can't score and sometimes I was yelling at the TV going why didn't you shoot that it was right there for you and so I understand where Habs fans and Habs nations are coming from in some of this in hopes of winning the number one overall draft pick last night was a must-lose game and Montreal came through through and through with that (laughs) 4-0 loss to the San Jose Sharks chomp chomp uh Brock Let's talk about the Toronto Raptors, a team that you and I maybe have not given the adequate attention to. In fact, maybe basketball in general we haven't given enough love to due to football and hockey and Paris sports and so many things going on in the world. But the Toronto Raptors have had a big piece of the squad return, and they're looking strong. They're looking good. They they are looking good, and it's a good thing to to see. And I I sort of want to focus on uh, Pascal Siakam because Pascal is – the player that we saw in the bubble that was just not very good at all. You know, the fans were calling for for Pascal's head. Pascal was playing well before injury and then played really well against the Cavaliers after the injury. And for me, uh, I, I think the changes for him is simple. It's mentally, he's, he's changed a little bit. He has a place on this team without Kyle uh, Tampa, Florida did not work out well for him or the Toronto Raptors. And now we're kind of seeing the, the, the difference in this, but for you, what do you see different in Pascal that we didn't see a couple of years ago? I see a comfort in the way he's playing the game. He always had a lot of raw skills, including ball handling and shooting, especially moving the ball. And that's something that's really come together for him as more often than not, they're placing him in that power forward or center position where he's athletically quicker than the guys he's playing against. So they've just put him in a great position on the court, which once again is a testament to what an incredible organization the Toronto Raptors are, that they're continually drafting players that have a lot of incredible raw skill 
and then embracing and developing that raw skill. I know your focus is on Pascal Siakam, but the steps that OG Ananobi has taken over the course of the last 18 months is just remarkable. As Pascal was gone, he carried that team on his back. This team is the example of what every NBA team should be. And if they can bring in one big-time free agent or swing that one big trade like they did to bring in Kawhi Leonard a couple years ago, they'll be right back at the top of the standings. I just have so much love for Masai Ujiri and everybody involved in that organization. They're just incredible. Yeah, and it's it's that fine line between changing the culture that you've built and adding the piece that's going to make the difference. And we're not going to harp on this too long at all. But, you know, looking at Kevin Durant and the idea of bringing Kevin Durant pass. this year. Pass. To me, yeah, like that. that's my point. It's a pass. And you're not just going to bring someone in just on pure talent. You're going to bring someone in on talent plus what can you give the team as an organization. And it, it's not about you as an organization it's about us as a team and what we built here is already a thing and oh by the way we have that little gold chip on the back of our uniforms which symbolize that we won a championship so you don't come in here and think that you're going to change our culture and that's the fine line we have to walk in not changing what we've already built but adding to it you know the diva who i would bring in if i could it would never happen but if i was going to bring in a diva veteran player to maybe push him over the top Let's uh, rename it LeBronto, Ontario. Let's bring in LeBron James, get him out of that bad situation in Los Angeles. Let's go. Hey, you know what? I can't say I, I disagree. You know, when LeBron uh, beat the Raptors out of the playoffs multiple times, he understood what the, what the atmosphere was in Toronto. He respected it. And when he told Doris Burke many times, do you hear this crowd? You know, yeah. it's... He respected it, and and do I think that he would be the guy that's over would put them over the top? Yes, and I do think there would be a level of diva in him as well. But he would also have the respect yeah. of the organization, which Kevin Durant simply would not. LeBron LeBron is the right kind of diva. LeBron is the right kind of diva because his diva dumb is about winning games, and oh, I love that. I love me some LeBronto Ontario. Brock, thank you for this LeBronto Ontario. Have a great day. You too. That's <laughs> Brock Richardson, not in Labrocto, Ontario, uh, joining us with a sports chat. Let's head over to Alex Smythe for the national weather updates. Here is your AMI national weather report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's cloudy, but becoming a mix of sun and clouds later, and minus three is the high there. Over to Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly sunny. A wind warning is in effect with 90 kilometer winds uh, expected overnight tonight, and the high there is five. In St. John, New Brunswick, clouds are rolling in and there is a chance of rain in the afternoon, and there is a rainfall and special weather statement in effect due to heavy rains and high winds expected overnight tonight. The high right now is seven. In Quebec City, Quebec, it's cloudy with rain or snow expected today. It's going to be either 30 millimeters of rain or 15 centimeters of snow, depending where you are in, in the city. And the rainfall warning is in effect. There's also wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and six is the high there. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's rain and possible thunderstorms this morning. Then it'll be cloudy. There's wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour and a special weather statement is in effect due to the wind. The high is 11, but it is expected to drop to zero this afternoon. 
in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario. It's rain, changing to snow, and snow squalls this morning. There's blowing snow and up to 15 centimeters expected. Wind gusts up to 80 kilometers per hour, and snow squall, squall warnings are in effect. The high is negative two. To Brandon, Manitoba, where it's a mix of sun and clouds and clearing by noon to become more sunshine. And wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of negative 11, but feeling like minus 27. In Regina, Saskatchewan, there's cloudy with possible light snow this morning, a high of minus 13, but it will feel like minus 25. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's cloudy with light snow beginning this morning, high of minus 15, but feeling like minus 29. Red Deer, Alberta, it's cloudy, but snow is beginning in the morning with up to 10 centimeters expected. The high is minus 19, feeling like minus 30. Up in Whitehorse, Yukon, sunny, becoming a mix of sun and clouds near noon. The high is minus 21, and you guessed it, with wind chill, it's gonna feel like minus 39. In Kelowna, BC, there's snow, and then it's turning cloudy. Up to two centimeters of snow is expected, and the high there is minus three. And finally, in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of rain this morning, and four is the high. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up after the break, we continue our conversation around the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. John Lupke will share up his thoughts. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. International Day of Persons with Disabilities will be marked this weekend. We talked about a couple events with Andrika Delanerol in the first hour of the show, and you'll get plenty of perspective over the next week from many of our columnists. So let's get it started with journalist John Lepke. Hey, good morning, John. How are you? Good morning, Dave. I'm good. Happy to be first. Yeah, you get the first crack at this one. So you're the first person who gets asked, what are your general thoughts on the day of persons with disabilities? I think in a lot of ways, it's a means to an end. I, I think in a lot of ways, like these these advocacy days are really important, but they can't be the the sort of the one and only. They they can't we can't wrap all of our hopes into one day, um, and and I think sometimes we fall into that trap a little bit as a community. Yes, yeah, speaking of traps, I've got a bit of a journalism question for you here because I know I can be susceptible to this one. Does it feel like sometimes we get? trapped in an obligation to report on an announcement that gets shared by either a government or an organization, because so oftentimes we're saying, gosh, we want people in the mainstream to talk about disability. And when they do, we almost feel the sense of gratitude that they do, but maybe we're just doing public relations work for them. What do you make? <laughs> like, is there any sense to that line of thought that I have? Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it's natural to want to report on the community, and I, I think it's natural to to want to give those things that time. Um, I, I think where we struggle is where it can fall into sort of the wider conversations about disability and sort of creating nuance within those stories can be, can be somewhat difficult if we don't link it back to 
to wider movements. Um, but certainly, you know, it, I think it's a pressure that a lot of disabled journalists feel, especially, you know, I'm a freelancer, but especially for those who are who are sort of in-house um, and and tasked with, uh, oh, you're you're good at this, so here's all the disability reporting <laughs> stories, which we know can happen sometimes. Uh, speaking of some of those announcements that require a little bit more scratching than just the surface announcement, let's talk about some news out of your neck of the woods in Saskatchewan. The government has put forward the Accessibility Saskatchewan Act. In broad strokes, what's the aim of the legislation? So the aim of the legislation, according to the government, this is not me doing PR for the SAS party, I promise, <laughs> is um, is to create uh, a, a new office. We already had an office of disability issues, but now we need an accessibility office, apparently, um, and uh, uh, an act that uh, uh, creates, the act creates a, a committee um, that then can provide recommendations. Those recommendations go into into regulations and requirements. And at first, it's going to be just um, administered to the government. We'll see how that goes. It has no deadlines. It talks about fines. And um, uh, I'm very much in the wait and see. I mean, obviously, it hasn't had its its final reading, I don't believe. But um, really in the wait and see with how, how that goes and, and what enforcement actually looks like. Um, they, they say in the, in the information related to the act, you know, the, the quick primer, um, that it is, is trying to uh, model or, or complement uh, the Accessible Canada Act in its, in its timelines. Um, and it does do some significant things, I, I believe, um, though this is in my community, with things like uh, acknowledging uh, various sign languages uh, as language for for a deaf community. Um, I think that's that's valuable, just like it was valuable within the Accessible Canada Act. But um, it still has the uh, it still has the issues that we see with some of the wider federal legislation. Let's talk a little bit about about that because you just did a really nice job of of at least creating the framework for the conversation. Because now that we have some facts at our fingertips, we can offer a little bit of analysis. So, what are some sure. of your thoughts here about maybe the strengths and the weaknesses of what was presented last week? Yeah, absolutely. I I think one of the things that that I'm keeping an eye on, um, and I'm sure community will be as well, but I, I don't want to speak for everybody, obviously, is um, uh, the act, the, this committee that's going to be created is 50% uh, has to be of these people who are who are advising have to be disabled or uh, part of organizations uh, that support people with disabilities. And and that's always a bit of a, um, a bit of a challenge because we know that uh, oftentimes those seats go to people well, meaning people, of course, but people who, who don't necessarily have the lived experience of disability in the same way. Um, we have uh, some of the challenges around timeline. It says in the little primer, uh, and if you go further into the act, that uh, they've spoken with other governments, and other governments have found that timelines don't work. Um, <laughs> and my question would be, is it that timelines don't work or is it that governments can't meet timelines? <laughs> I mean, in, in your neck of the woods, right there, we're still trying to meet um, the AOADA. Uh, I may have just yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I get, I, I, messed with that I, I mess it up acronym. all the time. I mess it up all the time, too, John. Uh, yeah, they, I mean, they've been working on this thing for 20, 20 years to get to a 2025 deadline, and they're not going to make it. No, and, and so if we don't, if we can't even make a 25-year timeline, how are we going to create this nebulous timeline? Um, the Act says that it, it is going to first administer to government so that government can build momentum. 
Um, now, the pessimist in me would argue that government aren't actually particularly good at building momentum when it comes to disability um, things in this province, uh, partially by the nature of, of um, the enforced poverty that can often come with programs like Saskatchewan Assured Income for Disability set, um, and, and partially because like, we already have an Office for Disability Issues. We're already struggling with the problems that the Human Rights Code and uh, you know the speed or lack thereof of enforcement of decisions and things like that bring with it. Um, so is it a step forward? Like you said earlier, do we always have to feel tied to this idea that we're having movement forward? Um, I would argue it is a step forward, um, but that we're, we're facing that, that enforcement um, issue. I should say that, that this legislation and, and the track towards it um, is continuing on some, there's our word of the day today, Dave, momentum. Um, <laughs> Um, from the Saskatchewan Disability Strategy, which was, uh, you know, a big public consultation and public consultation that has followed. So this isn't necessarily, uh, you know, uh, some SAS party officials huddled in a corner in the legislature um, coming up with uh, coming up with some things by magic. But uh, but it remains to be seen what is actually going to be applicable and usable. John, if you'll allow me, as, as you point out there, this is legislation that came from consultation that's going to lead to further committees and consultation, which seems a little bit like a cycle to me. The, <laughs> and, and, and I understand that consultation is important, right? I, I, I am a firm believer in the nothing for us without us, for sure, for sure, for sure. That That's an underpinning. I, I, I get that. But I'm starting to get a little bit leery at the way that every province and every government is saying, we're for forming a committee and we are going to consult when the fact is there are already best practices in play. There are people who devote their careers to this. And in fact, we, we platform some of them on the show. People like Thea Curdy at Designable Environments, people like Denis Boudreau at Inclusive Communication, people like Kelly Braun Johnson at, uh, at Completely Inclusive, even folks from like the Rick Hansen Foundation. I know at times they're a little bit controversial amongst some folks in universal design, but the fact is there are so many people who are already building best practices that maybe we shouldn't be caught up. And now here's where people are going to accuse me of ableism in the paralysis <laughs> by analysis uh, trap that they'll mm. fall into. I, I think one of the things that that I think we lose uh, is that um, absolutely there are there are already best practices. What I what what I think from a community perspective is important to think about is you know, the role of that consultation is to figure out what it means in a, to use my province, Saskatchewan context. Mm. The, the framework is important, but we can't prescribe what, you know, what Toronto's accessibility or Vancouver's accessibility or even Edmonton's accessibility is to Saskatchewan. Um, and, and, but we don't, that's not how these things are framed, right? You're exactly right. These things are framed as we must we must reinvent the entire wheel so that we can say we came up with it. And you go, hang on, independent living, we're still battling against some of the basic tenets of the independent living movement that the independent living movement was trying to dispel in the 60s and 70s. So why do we need to recreate the entire wheel just to say we did? Um, I, I don't quite, I'm with you there. I don't, I don't quite get where that goes. And um, it must be said, I think that bureaucrats love bureaucrats. Um, uh, yes. <laughs> it's not just true of government. Bureaucrats love bureaucrats. And so um, how 
this gets implemented, and I, I must say, I'm probably coming across as heavily negative. I certainly believe and have witnessed in, in my work in my life that there are people, and uh, make up the majority of people, um, whether elected or not, within government and, and adjacent organizations um, that truly believe in the mission of inclusion and accessibility. The challenge, as we see here with this act, is is implementation and mm. how does this filter down? And again, we bump into the same old thing of what is the major problem within Canadian disability legislation is that it rarely gets out of the public sphere and it rarely asks businesses to account. And when it doesn't ask businesses or you know baseline things that disabled people intersect with every day, um, it doesn't move the baseline of accessibility as far as I, I think our communities would want it to. Yeah, the amount of places I couldn't have gotten into in Montreal last week if I couldn't walk up and down stairs is staggering. Yes, the city's over 300 years old. No, it's not acceptable that you need stairs to get into everywhere. Here's a yes, big... the three the three accessible areas of the metro. Yeah, the three, yeah exactly. We, we have three elevators now in our 40-something metro stations. Look how accessible we are. Uh, okay, we, John, we're, we're running out of time here, but I do want to yeah. ask you this big question. I'm making you the premier. So you're now Premier Lepke. Uh-huh. What is uh-huh. something you'd make an underpinning of your accessibility standard or legislation? Sure. I think... I think everything related to accessibility in this province roots back to poverty. And I think when we look at um, the assured income for disability, you know, we there are two underpinnings. There are the costs for people to be able to access and be able to attend and go out into community. Because if people can't go out into community, then you hear the same old excuse, well, we don't have disabled patrons. And then the other underpinning is bring that legislation and that requirement into um, those the businesses. Um, I, I argue, uh, despite the protestations of many governments, that timelines are actually useful if we hold ourselves to account for them. And from there, uh, the underpinning would be to expand and, and really bring the baseline of accessibility up rather than focusing on these sort of romantic ideals of what a perfectly accessible society is. We're so far away from that that we actually need to look at the building blocks. Mm. John, you did a great job as premier, but I'm sending you back to being a journalist. Have a great day. We'll talk to you again in the new year. Thanks so much. That is journalist John Lepke. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. After the break, I've got a little information about some contests going on around the AMI family. Stay tuned. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's do a little bit of housekeeping for you here. Housekeeping. I want to start with a reminder that you can do some serious winning this holiday season. The Tripping on Air podcast has a special giveaway. If you visit ami.ca slash TOA contest, you can review the list of the prizes they're giving away as part of the 2022 MS Holiday Gift Guide, the Multiple Sclerosis Holiday Gift Guide. So you want to be sure to enter for your chance to win. The contest closes tomorrow, December the 1st, 
at 11 p.m., 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, so you better hurry up. Winners will be contacted via email and listed on the Tripping On Air Instagram page. Again, ami.ca slash TOA contest for some winning, winning, winning. The other piece of housekeeping is about a nice piece of programming we have coming up this weekend, as we've mentioned a few times on the show. International Day of Persons with Disabilities is happening this weekend, December 3rd. The, the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians will be hosting their annual conference virtually, and AMI's Joita Gupta will be doing a broadcast of the event. So join in for that conversation by tuning in to that special edition of The Pulse on AMI-audio from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern this Saturday, December the 3rd. So again, that's from the AEBC's IDPD conference, December the 3rd at 1 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Or, of course, by listening online at ami.ca. And we'll catch up with Joita Gupta on Friday as part of the news panel. Coming up after the break, Ramya will be here. Alex will be here. We'll drag Jeffy in. We ask a big question. Who makes you laugh? This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Oh, yeah, fire up that percussion on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Oh, there's the funk. Woo! Before we ask the question, who makes you laugh, let's bring in someone who makes me smile. It's the co-host of Kelly and Company, Ramya Emuthan, to give you a preview of what's coming up on the show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time today. Good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. That was very sweet of you. Oh, what can I say? I'm in a very smooth mood today. Uh, Ramya, what's coming up on the show at 2 p.m. Eastern Time? Okay, well, obviously there's a lot of holiday stuff going on. We're going to hone in on television because <laughs> yeah. holiday uh, TV favorites are here. Greg David's going to stop by with our holiday guide on when to check out what. Also, Ryan Delahanty is giving us gift ideas for the book lovers. This is featuring works of authors with disabilities, specifically in Atlantic Canada, and there are a couple of great stories here. Mary Mamaliti is telling us um, about her foodie gift guide for suggestions, including people who love sweet, love Love savory, love drinks, love everything in between. So there's a lot packed in that 18-minute segment. Oh, boy. You guys keep it packed in for two hours on that show, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Ramya, stay right there because I have an important question for you. But first, we bring back in Alex Smythe as well as uh, Jeff Ryman for this conversation. Our old boss, Andy Frank, gave me a recommendation yesterday. He said, Dave, you have to check out the new Trevor Noah stand-up special on Netflix last night. It was okay. It unfortunately becoming my default feeling when I'm watching a lot of stand-up comedy. I get a chuckle, but maybe not a full-blown busting of my gut. So I have this question of who makes you laugh? Because I do like a good laugh. So, Alex, starting with you, who makes you laugh? Yeah, so when we're talking stand-up specifically, I'm going to have to say Neil Brennan. And for those of you who who are not sure, who don't know Neil Brennan, he was the co-creator and co-writer of The Chappelle Show with Dave Chappelle. I know there's a lot of controversy around uh, Dave Chappelle right now, but uh, Neil Brennan, he's done a couple Netflix uh, specials. He just released one 
I think this year or, or like very uh, very late last year. It's it's very new and it's phenomenal. I I watched it three times. I want to say now just because oh, wow. I've enjoyed it so much and it's like there's some fantastic jokes in there. He 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 goes beyond just like okay here's here's some jokes. He'll also go into deep heavy topics about you know his upbringing, his his. Uh, emotional health, relationship, things like that. And he has a unique style that kind of blends the humor with the seriousness. And I, I really gravitate towards that. But because I'm, I'm like you, uh, Dave, like a lot of the comedies out there, just especially comedy movies, I find, I, I don't really laugh anymore. So so finding someone who actually makes me laugh consistently is rare. And yeah, hands down, Neil Brennan, you gotta watch his stand-up. Ramya, what about you? Who makes you laugh? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I can't talk to stand up right now because I haven't watched stand up in a while. Back in the day, I used to love uh, um, Kevin Hart, but I feel like I grew out of him a little bit. So, anyways, uh, I will say Trevor Noah, his stand up, I'm not a fan of, but his book, Born a Crime, the audiobook that he narrated, mm. absolutely laughed out loud at least once in every chapter. So, if you want to like refresh, your impression of Trevor Noah, go listen to the audiobook. It's so funny. And then speaking of Andy Frank, he also recommended Mark Critch. Um, Son of a Critch was oh, narrated yeah. by him. <laughs> Dude, that was hilarious. Like he does impressions like nobody's business. And that made me laugh out loud a lot as well. Um, I'm finding that the, what do you call it when it's like comedy shows, but documentary style? I don't, I don't oh, like Oh, like the, mockumentary. Yeah, yeah. You know, like The Office, Modern Family, those things make me laugh because the actors, like I can't get over how people can keep a straight face, the whole cast. <laughs> and then I'm, you know, busting a gut at home and I can rewatch stuff like that all the time. You know, The Office, mm-hmm. uh Modern Family, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Um, I can't remember right now. Uh, Abbott par- Elementary, par- all of par- these. Parks, par- and, Parks Rec. and Rec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a good one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff you mentioned there. There's certainly something in TV comedy that's still there. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia will still make me laugh <laughs> because it's so <laughs> deeply inappropriate. Like, it's a yes. habitual line crosser, and, it's, and there's something about it that really works for me. But they do it in a way that has a certain sensitivity. So it's like, wow, you guys know you're making something really inappropriate here. Yes. And are unapologetic about it, which works for me. I, I want to bring – go, go ahead, Alex. I just wanted to touch on it's always saying they also learning they grow from what they originally did and how they because they realized just how inappropriate it was that they still maintain inappropriate uh, levels, but they change how they go about it or how they touch on certain subjects. So it's yeah. also mm-hmm. growth with inappropriate comedy. The, they'll revisit it too. They've, they've done like yeah. four episodes on gun control and each one is yep. just as funny as the last one. I want to bring in Jeff Ryman because Jeff Ryman is actually in his possession of some tickets to a comedy show. Yes, I am. Oh. I'm going to uh, Russell Peters at Casino Rama in about a week and a half or so on uh, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. So Russell Peters is always like the OG. Can't, a little bit of can con. Um, love him. I haven't really seen a whole lot of his stuff recently, so I'm kind of excited to see what stuff he's going to bring come that show. But I think one of my favorites is uh, Jim Jeffries. I don't oh, know if it's yeah. the Aussie accent. Again, one of those guys who crosses the line, although has toned it back a little bit, but always, always, always makes me laugh. So whenever there's a special of him on Netflix, 
I always have to watch that. Yeah, he was playing a show at the Meridian Theater in Toronto a couple of weeks mm-hmm. ago. I was uh, thinking about going down. There were still tickets available, but I didn't. I didn't go in the end. Uh, coming back to this thing about maybe stand-up comedy isn't working for me the way it used to. Amy Schumer recently put out a stand-up that I also mm-hmm. thought was rather disappointing, which is too bad because Amy Schumer is one of the people who absolutely makes me laugh. And after watching the disappointing stand-up special, I went back and rewatched uh, her 2015 movie Trainwreck, and I was just laughing my butt off. Her and Bill Hader had the best chemistry on screen, and I was just a giggling mess for about two hours watching that movie. So there's still like there's still comedy out there, but I think it's just becoming a little bit more it's tough to make a straight up comedy. There needs to be something a little bit deeper. There needs to be a message that has to go beyond sort of a surface level joke. So that's kind of my, my, my concluding theory. And we're not going to have time to explore it. Unfortunately is I would say that stand up comedy is probably the hardest form of comedy to do because you're trying to play to the audience. But if you're also trying to make a special, how do you play to the audience, but also make it work for somebody at home? Uh, It it just strikes me as so interesting that the degree of, difficulty to do that, to have that balancing act, that wire on stage and and still actually be funny and insightful and offer something a little bit different. So it's by far the uh, the form of comedic art that I think is uh, certainly the most challenging at this moment. Jeff, we thank you for your time on this one. Ramya, I'm sorry we didn't have a little time to dive deeper into why comedy is so hard. Maybe we can explore it uh, between now and the end of the holiday season. And Alex, we thank you for your time as well. Everybody have themselves a nice day. That's all the time we have on Now with Dave Brown for this Wednesday edition of the show. We uh, ran a whole lot of <laughs> ran a whole lot of ground on the show today. We'll be back again tomorrow where we have a special announcement. Special announcement coming from the Parliamentary Secretary of Accessibility in BC from the BC government about the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. So you'll want to come in and join the show for that one. Of course, we'll also have the gang from Double Tap Canada stopping by and all sorts of other nonsense and fun like we enjoy doing on the show. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.